בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוך השם, always good to be back at the Breslov Center during the שיעורים at Aventura, ברוך השם, we have uh, amazing feedback on uh, last week's שיעור. I think uh, aside from my uh, personal uh, story and maybe the uh, wasting seed uh, lecture, it's probably the one that uh, last week's שיעור about who is the Erev Rav, is uh, probably the most popular shiur we've done in a very short period of time. Had a lot of, uh, Baruch Hashem, good feedback, a lot of material. So uh, the, uh, today, Bezat Hashem, we're actually going to continue in a similar direction uh, to cover some more things about Erev Rav. And, you know, last week we asked, who is the Erev Rav? Today, we're going to ask a different question, but it's the same question. It's a little more personal, this question. Question today is, are we Erev Rav? How do you know you're not Erev Rav? How do you know? Somebody told you. How do you know you're not part of Erev Rav yourself? It's easy to look somebody, hey, Erev Rav, Rasha, Amalek, Nefilim, everybody is Erev Rav. We'll answer that too. Question is, who's Erev Rav? Next question is, are we part of it? So, we're going to continue the Mishnah in Avot. Today it's uh, Gimel Yud Gimel. Also today, uh, this week is a very, very interesting parasha, parashat Shelach, uh, which is the, uh, the whole uh, story about the Meraglim, the spies, and uh, that uh, Moshe sent to the land of Israel, which at the time was called Canaan, and uh, because uh, people didn't trust Hashem's word. And uh, they wanted to check the land out. And obviously came back with some bad news and said Lashon Ara about the land. So we also have that parasha, which we'll go into, try to see Bezat Hashem, how we can connect it to. Uh, before we start everything, I uh, want to do also to, uh, this year we'll go to a Ilui Nishmat Yehuda Ben Israel, and also Refua Shlema Le David Ben Israel, Doris Bajora, Emet Eliel Ben Alia, Levana Batsara, Sarah Bat Levana, Dvora Bat Mercedes, Yehuda Ben Dvora, and all of Am Israel, as Lord Hashem will have Refua Shlema, Refua Tanefesh, Refua Taguf. Also, we uh, some uh, few public service announcements on uh, some things that are going on. Baruch Hashem, uh, lots of good things. Um, on uh, one end, the uh, negative situation that's happening with the uh, the whole uh, debacle with that uh, Joseph Dweck from uh, from London. Uh, Hashem, all of the uh, you know major leaders in the Sephardic world are not staying quiet. Some of them have made uh, major public announcements, wrote letters, the Rishon LeZion, Rabbi Tzchak Yosef, the Rav David Yosef. Also, uh, the, today there was a Rav uh, Shalom Cohen. Uh, came out with a uh, letter and an article of Shalom Cohen, for anyone who doesn't know, he's the head of the Shas. Uh, he's the head of the uh, political party that uh, Rav Radio Yosef started 
in essence, he's head of the religious, political, religious world. Uh, and uh, he came out with a letter condemning Joseph Dweck until he does serious, serious tshuva, saying he should not be called a rabbi, should not be uh, allowed to, um, to speak publicly as far as to teach people Torah because the things that he teaches obviously show that he lacks any knowledge about Torah. And the, it's, it's heresy. It's outright kfirah. Now, some people have been questioning the intentions, you know, because we've been very, very vocal about it, both in the lectures and also on the Internet. Where every time we get a letter, we are um, very, very, you know, excited to report it. This is not because I have any personal uh, vendetta against Dweck. I don't know the guy. Uh, I don't know him. I don't care for him. He's just another guy in the world to me. Um, and it has nothing to do with the issues that he had with Rav Mizrahi or anything like that. The, uh, the reason why we continue to report it is because this is a job that every single one of you has to do also. Every single Jew is responsible to sanctify Hashem's name, to protect the honor of Hashem. In the Gemara Masechet, a uh, Sanhedrin, page 82, it says, Makom Hashem and The place that there is Chilul Hashem, in a place where they're desecrating Hashem's name, there's no consideration for honoring rabbis. There's no consideration for it. You don't think about it twice, you don't think about it anything. On what it was written, where do we learn this from? We learn this from Moshe Rabbeinu. Pinchas, when he saw that Zimri was sinning, didn't ask Moshe Rabbeinu permission of whether he should do something or not. He just said, listen, you know, there's an halacha here, you're supposed to kill him. He didn't consider, is it, am I asking the right way? Should I say it in a different tone? Should I ask for permission? No. Why? Because when the name of Hashem is on the line, there's no consideration whatsoever for honoring rabbis. It doesn't matter who the rabbi is, because the example was learned from the biggest rabbi in history, Moshe Rabbeinu. So, when it comes down to somebody teaching things that are outright kfirat, things that are outright against the Torah, things that are heresy, things that are uh, completely a desecration of uh, uh, completely a desecration of Hashem Barach, a desecration of His Torah, um, it's our job, it's our duty to voice the truth. So people know that there's at least somebody out there that's trying. Somebody out there that's fighting for the truth. Because unfortunately in today's world, as we learned from last week's shiul, unfortunately there are many, many Erev Rav. Many, many Erev Rav, according to the Gemara, according to the Zohar, and over 1,700 sources in the Torah talk about Erev Rav. 1,700 sources. Many of them believe that there is much more Erev Rav than actual righteous Jews. If you compare the two, even in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, at the least, the smallest opinion is double. The smallest opinion is that there was double Erev Rav than there was Am Yisrael. The highest opinion, there was six times the amount. So there's many, many Erev Rav. So for the few that are actually looking for the truth, you've got to give them some signs of hope. 
there's a, Baruch Hashem, we have the school to meet some really, really nice people, righteous people that are looking for the truth. And, you know, when some of them don't know much, and as soon as they find out, they change. One of my students, uh, one of my students uh, sent me a uh, message just a, uh, a day or two ago, and she said she wanted to let me know that she's part of these different women groups, um, Tehilim and all types of Shuvah Torah and so on, different groups that she's part of on WhatsApp. And she said, you wouldn't believe how many women have changed by just watching the short clips that you make about Kisui Rosh. Women took off their wigs and put a scarf or a hat on. Just from watching a five, ten minute clip. What do you mean women? She goes, you have no idea how many, many women are doing it because they, none of them knew. None of them ever looked at it that way that by wearing a wig, number one, you're playing with a suffix. You're playing with a major, major doubt that it's Abu Dazara. According to our research, it's 100% Abu Dazara, unless it's fake, uh, fake hair. Number two, you're playing with a major suffix of whether it's even permitted at all, because all of the major rabbis that have mentioned that it's permissible didn't talk about today's wig. They talked about wigs from 100 years ago. The two don't look the same. No one permitted any wigs that were created over the last 15 or 20 years. So, and last but not least, the only woman in the entire Torah that's mentioned showing her hair, exposing her hair, is the sota, The wayward woman, the woman that's being accused of cheating on her husband. So why would you want to look like her? And this is one of the things that each and every single one of us has to ask ourselves every single day. Before you leave your house with your tank top and shorts, before you leave your house with your mini skirt, before you leave your house with your tight pants, before you leave your house with no kippah, before you leave your house with the long wig, before you leave your house. We're not even talking about learning. We're not talking about praying. We're not talking about that. We're talking about just basic look. You as a human being, you as a Jew. Before you leave your house, just think about this for a moment. Before you kiss the mezuzah even. Think about this for a moment. If the horn from Yerushalayim would sound at that moment, Mashiach is here. Mashiach is here. The Yawanavi came, he says, he's showing up now. He's here. Would you want to look that way? Would you want to meet the Mashiach Looking the way you do, with the three feet long wig, with the extra tight dress so it could show your figure, with your tank top and your short pants, would you want to look like that? The Mashiach showed up now. Say, hey, Mashiach, how are you? What do you think of my tank top? It has Nike on it? What do you think of my big hat? You know, some people wear these baseball caps, they're extra big. They were extra big. They want to look, uh, you know, like they uh, just came from some rap video. They have an extra big hat, baseball hat, and it's brand new. And they want to make sure that you know it's brand new, so they leave the sticker on it. They leave the sticker on the hat, so you make sure you know it's new. 
and they don't even bend the hat, they make sure that it's flat, so you know it's new, chadash, fresh, and they make sure it's extra big, so you know that there's a hat on their head. Don't miss that there's a hat on their head, so it's extra big. It's bigger than their head. And they switch it, and they tilt it a little bit to the left or to the right to make sure you know, hey, maybe this guy just came out of a rap video. Maybe he's 50 Cent. Maybe he's his DMX. Coming back, doing a comeback. It's a little lighter. But hey, you never know. And they wear this hat, and they make stupid videos on the internet. So you ask yourself a question when you're wearing that silly hat with the extra size and the sticker on it. Mashiach was here right now. Are you going to wear that hat? They say, hey, Mashiach, Melech Mashiach, what do you think of my hat? Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to wear black and white. I'm not saying anybody needs to wear any color. What I am saying is, do you look respectable enough to be called a Jew? To be considered the son or daughter of the king of kings? Can people tell? But you look like seven and a half billion people. Would you want to look like that when the Mashiach is here? Because he's around the corner. In case you didn't recognize, he's around the corner. So that's one thing we have to ask ourselves. So now, some of these righteous women did not know that the sotah is the only one that showed her hair in the, in the Torah. And they said, well, you know what? Listen, I'm trying, the whole concept of the wig is not because I like the wig. It's because I like Hashem. And someone told me that I should wear a wig. But obviously, why would I want to look like a sotah? Why would, I look, why would I want to look like a single woman? I'm married. Why would a married woman want to look like a single woman? Were you still looking? Just in case? Why do you want to look like a single woman? Do you know how many bachurim, how many bachurim shiva, they go to weddings for their friends getting married, and they also look for shiduchim. And they keep pointing at different women, saying, oh, what about her? Do you know her? Oh, hey, buddy, she's married. What do you mean she's married? She's married. How do you not know she's married? Well, I don't know. She looks like she's single. What's the main thing that distinguishes a single woman and a, and a, and a uh, married woman in the Jewish world? Head covering. That's it. So when a single woman and a married woman look the same, it's ma'aseh satan. Ma'aseh satan. This is the work of the satan himself. Even Rav Yashiv. Zechat Tzadik V'Kadosh L'Vachah said this is a very, very difficult decree in Gzerah and Am Yisrael when they don't when they don't get out of this wig situation. Because even when you show them that it's Abu Dazarah Me'achuz, still they find excuses. No, no, there's one crazy rabbi that said that, uh, you know, that uh, the Lubavitcher Rabbi was a Mashiach while he was still alive. He was still alive in the 1980s. And some rabbi... That was his Talmud, apparently. He said, no, he's the Mashiach. Okay, but he's, if he's the Mashiach, okay. Tigalotanu, you know, yalla. If you're Mashiach, no, yalla. Bet the Mikdash, Korbanot, no war. If you're Mashiach, no. So he came out with a book saying that Lubavitcher Rebbe, it's still alive, is a Mashiach. Lubavitcher Rebbe said, no, no, don't publish this. Don't publish this. 
Why? Because he's doing that the Mashiach. So this person came out and said, no, wigs are allowed. So you're listening to that opinion. This is what your Olama Ba is depending on. The opinion of someone who said that the Lubavitcher Rebbe is the Mashiach. While he was still alive. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself disagreed with. So this is what your Olama Ba is depending on. So Mashiach, the real Mashiach shows up. He says, oh, I listen to this rabbi. You listen to this rabbi. This guy is shoteh. He's drunk. What are you listening to him? Olama Bai is depending on this. You look like the sota. You look like a single woman. Or the wayward woman. This is what your Olama Bai is. This is what you want to see the Mashiach. So, Baruch Hashem, when people that are looking to do the will of Hashem, they hear these things. It's very easy. It's very simple things. It's not chidushim. It's not like some innovation that I came up with. That It's nothing. This is all things you already know. Just never thought about it that way. It was not as sharp. It was not as loud. It was not as much in your face. But now it is. And when they hear it, well, you know what? It makes sense. Even if there's 1% chance that it's wrong to wear a wig. Avodah not sanua, not modest, a million other reasons. 1%. Are you really willing to put your entire olam ba for that wig? So everybody thinks that you're single still? So that's the problem we have today. And also, if you look in the book, Ech Tov Israel by Rabbi Ephraim Kachlon, he has a whole section about what happens in weddings, whether you're allowed to go to these mixed weddings, Shemir Achem, whether it's weddings, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, it's all the same. When you know there's going to be mixed dancing, mixed seating, and all of that stuff. And he has a whole section about the halacha, what's allowed, what's not allowed, but he gives you a few nice chidushim. And once in a while you see in a Jewish world that the problem is not in the, just in a secular world. Secular world, you know, many of them don't really know what the truth is. You see the problem is also in a religious world. You see the avrechim, the bachurim, go to the chatuna, go to the wedding, looking for a shiduch. They're not going because they're that excited about somebody else's getting married. They're excited because hopefully they're going to get married one day. Yeah, but sometimes it's family members, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's different people. And sometimes somebody tells you, hey, listen, by the way, it's going to be mixed dancing. It's going to be mixed dancing. Now, of course, this is arik ve'al yavo. This is die but don't sin. This is arayot. 100% not allowed to go to such a thing. Now, what happens if it's someone who knows? Someone doesn't know, it's different. Someone who knows. Someone who knows, it's not allowed. Zavrech goes to Kolel, goes to Yeshiva. He's religious. And he goes and he wants to go see all of these women that maybe are single, maybe are married. Because he doesn't know who's married, who's single. He doesn't know. Sometimes married, sometimes single, they all look the same. Just the married ones sometimes have a few kids next to them. If they didn't get a babysitter for tonight. Other than that, look the same. So what if he goes? He knows. What if he goes? So, 
Chelek Chaf Hei. Chaf Hei. He talks about it. He says, Besefer Chasidim, in the book of Chasidim, V'adam shelamad v'yodea et hinei mile v'bechol ofen olech v'tsofe b'nashim, כתב בספר החסידים שלא רק יענש על עצם מה שצופה בנשים, אלא יענש גם על מה שלמד כבר. The ספר חסידים is writing, which we mentioned in the previous שיעורים, who the ספר חסידים was. It's one of the גדולי הדור in previous generations. He says, the one that goes to these mixed weddings, the one that goes and sees these maybe married, maybe single women, He's in, it's going. But he knows he's not allowed to go. He says not only does he get a punishment for looking at these women, but he gets a punishment, because the sin, obviously everybody gets, but he gets a punishment for all the Torah that he learned. Because he didn't learn to fulfill. He learned for nothing. He learned like you learn math. You learn like you learn history. You learn like the kids go to public school and they learn stuff so they can graduate. No one really is going to become a historian. No one's going to become an expert in European history or in art history or most people are not going to become mathematicians or English professors. But you learn. Why do you learn? Because you want to graduate. No one is going to become an ex- expert gymnast. But you go to gym class because you want to graduate. No one's going to become a biologist for the most part. Only few. Only few will become statisticians. Only few will become each one of these things. But we all go and we take those classes in school, in high school, in college, and so on. Why? So we can graduate. He says, this guy that learned Torah and learned that you're not allowed to go to these places. He knows it and he still didn't fulfill it. He gets punished for learning. So... When you think about it, it's like, now I can get punished even for learning Torah? Shem and what happens if I don't learn Torah? So now, when a woman is putting herself in a situation where she becomes part of the sin, she's the one that's wearing a wig, she looks like she's single, and one of these bachurim who can't get over his yetzerah looks at her, she becomes partner to his crime. This is a serious problem. So when my student told me, Baruch Hashem, these women are taking off wigs, putting Kisul Roshan, some of them didn't have anything on, they're putting Kisul Roshan. It made me more excited than I've been in months. Because this is Mamash, Mamash, Satan himself is in his, in his Avera. So Baruch Hashem, this is very, very good news. Ultimately, the main thing that each and every single one of these women said is that they never knew the truth. No one ever told them. They knew that there's different ways. There's different minagim, there's kisui rosh with the mitpachat and had, and then there is wig. They knew there's different minagim. But the details, most people don't really delve into things. If I start giving you a shiur, and I start mentioning different verses from the Torah, different pages in the Gemara, different Masechto, different Sfarim, for the most part, 99 out of 100 people are not going to actually look up the source. 
They're not going to look up the source. Oh, okay, it's Masechet Tanit, great. Oh, it's Masechet Shabbat, great. Okay, it's nice. Looks like he knows what he's talking about. But most people are not going to actually look it up themselves. Few, few are going to actually look it up. Oh, let me see what else it says. It's with any speaker. When Obama makes his speech and he starts mentioning all types of financial achievements or different rules or different things, then he gets paid $600,000 of speech somehow. People are mamash metumtamim. People of mamash are deteriorating. We're no longer going to have to question whether we came from monkeys anymore. We're going to become monkeys. So they pay this guy $600,000 to give a speech. No one actually looks up what he says other than the newscasters. No one looks it up. Same thing with anyone. Any speaker, people don't actually look it up. So when you say, listen, there's minag, Ashkenaz, peah. Say, wig. Sephardic, it's Kisuri Rosh with a scarf or a hat. That's the general known minag that we know from our forefathers. Even though today, there's a little bit of both and both. Most people don't look up. Why? So there's an amazing organization comprised of zealous women in, uh, I believe, in Lakewood. It's in New Jersey, called Rosh Pina, who has been, have been fighting for the truth for the last several years. And Baruch Hashem, we've been able to uh, help them over the last uh, few months, provide them many, many sources to continue publicizing the truth about wigs and uh, not even necessarily what the Minag is and what the Minag isn't. Not necessarily who allows it and who doesn't allow it, because in my personal opinion, it doesn't make a difference. If you're looking for an excuse to wear a wig based on halacha, based on like who allowed it, who didn't allow it, there's nothing to talk about. Why? Because you're going to find a way. You're going to find an excuse. The main thing I've personally been focusing on is the fact that to prove that it's 100% Abu Dazarah. And Abu Dazarah, no one can allow. Not even the guy that said that the Lubavitcher Rebbe is a Mashiach while he was still alive. No one can say it's allowed. Abu Dazara is Abu Dazara. So that's one main thing that's very easy to prove. If you just do some market research, and Baruch Hashem, we did. So when people find out about this fact, people find out about this disaster, and they love Hashem, sometimes they change right away, sometimes they take time. But either way, they know something has to happen. So the question we're all going to leave ourselves with and move on to the next point, is if Mashiach showed up right now, do I want to wear the really wavy long wig, or do I want to wear the mitpachat? Do I want to wear my tank top and shorts like I come to synagogue against the beach, or do I want to look like a professional, respectable human being? You don't need to look like you're from Wall Street or some banker, but just like a respectable human being. So, do I want to wear that extra large baseball cap and look like it came out of a rap video? Or do I want a simple kippah? Cost a few bucks. Cover most of my head. Do I want to wear the kippah the size of a quarter? Or do I want to wear a respectable kippah where people know, hey, he's a Jew. He's not hiding it. He's not embarrassed. You know, many people are embarrassed of being a Jew, so they wear an extra small kippah. Hopefully people miss it. Hopefully they don't know I'm a Jew. Because if they see my kippah, 
They think I'm religious. It's like they're embarrassed of being the son of the king of kings. You ever see anybody, any prince in history, embarrassed to wear the crown? You ever see any, any prince in history say, no, no, the crown, I'm embarrassed of that. I'm embarrassed to tell people I'm the, I'm the prince. Something wrong with you? It's either you're the prince or not. You want to be one of the servants? Go! Enjoy being a servant, but don't say you're the prince. Why are you so embarrassed? It has nothing to do with whether it's rabbinical mitzvah or a biblical mitzvah. It's the point of, do you want to show the world that you're proud to be a Jew? Mashiach's here. You excited? Are you going to tell people, wait, let me see, let me see, hold on a second. Hey, Mashiach, I'm here, I'm here, Mashiach, I'm here. Don't, don't tell anybody that you saw me, though. I'm here, though. You're hiding? Hiding, you're a Jew. You have to ask yourself these questions. So now, what happens when we have all these questions? All of these doubts create problems for us, create problems with our neshama. So that's what we have to learn. Now, Rabbi Chayna ben Dosa continues and says, Hua Yaomer, Kol Shema'asav, Merubi Mechokmato, Chokmato Mitkayemet, Vekol Shechokmato Merubami Ma'asav, and Chokmato Mitkayemet. Translation Rabbi Chayna ben Dosa says, Anyone whose good deeds exceed his wisdom, his wisdom will endure. But anyone whose wisdom exceeds his good deeds, his wisdom will not endure. Okay, sounds pretty simple, straightforward. Almost like the heat in this place today that I'm melting. But, Ken, the heat of the, the, of the Torah you guys are learning with me is making me hot. So, looks pretty straightforward. Rabbi Chana last week taught us about the significance of Yirat Shemaim, saying that if Yirat Shemaim is not the foundation of our learning, of our Torah, it's not Torah. It's a math book with some history lessons in it. So this week he's telling us something a little different. He's elaborating on the same point, and actually in many Mishnayot, these two Mishnayot are part of the same one. There's a few ways that the Perkei uh, Avot was written. We talked about in the past. In this particular one that I'm learning, it's a um, different Mishnayot. This is Gimel Yudbet, 3.12. So he says, anyone whose good deeds exceed his wisdom, seemed last week was his fear of Hashem. Had to be in line with his wisdom or more than his wisdom. Here it's his good deeds. It's his good deeds. So Chazal says, first and foremost, we know what Rav, Rav said. First and foremost, you have to stop sinning. Stop sinning. You do tshuva, 
First you have to do, stop sinning. You tell somebody, keep Shabbat, first time. You want to tell them, listen, Shabbat, you got to do Kiddush, you got to have two Chalot, and it can't be a broken Chalot, it has to be a full Chalot. And you have to make sure that the wine is a certain type of wine. You can't just have just wine that's... You have to have kavod for the Shabbat, and this, and all the halachot Shabbat, and muktzeh, and this... Te- no. You don't tell them everything right away. You tell them, listen, first, stop driving. Stop playing with your phone. Stop watching TV. Stop sinning, the big sin. Stop smoking cigarettes on Shabbat. First and foremost, stop sinning. That's the beginning of tshuva. After you've stopped sinning, then we have something to build on. But if we don't stop sinning, we have nothing to build on. So Rav says that before you start with the, the positive mitzvot, first you have to start with the negative. Stop sinning. Stop going against Hashem. And that's why Rabbi Chalina ben Dosa taught us about Yirat Shemaim last week. He says, that's the foundation. First the foundation. Now this week he's talking about Masim. What are you actually doing with your time? Okay, you stop sinning. Okay, fine. You, for a year already you've been sleeping the entire Shabbat. Chazaku You stop sinning. Still kept Shabbat. No problem. Shemaim it says, you kept Shabbat. Wasn't exactly the ideal Shabbat, but at least you didn't drive on Shabbat. No problem. Now it's time to learn about Onik Shabbat. Learn about how to really fulfill the entire mitzvah of Shabbat. Enjoy Shabbat. Learn on Shabbat. Now it's time for Maasim. Now it's time for doing things. And he says, if the actions, the good deeds, are more valuable than your learning, you actually have more actions than learning, the learning you have is real Torah. It's real Torah. But if all you do is learn, but you don't fulfill, it's not real Torah. You're part of Erev Rav. You're part of Erev Rav. Why? Rabbi Nachman from Breslev said that there's a, several qualities about the Erev Rav. He says at the end of days, similar to what the Arizal wrote, and also several other of the major sages, including the Gemara in Masechet Chagiga, Masechet Sota, sent prerequisites of this Erev Rav. In the Gemara, Masechet Chagiga, page 13b and 14a, talks about how Hashem created these 974 generations of people that were too wicked for Him to keep in the world all at once. So He spread them out amongst the generations, and that's the Erev Rav. How do you say their best, their quality? What were these people? Azpanim. Azpanim, these were people who were brazen. Brazen. If you remember when we learned the end of days, one of the shiurim, or a few of the shiurim, we talked about what's going to happen at the end of days. In the Gemara Masechet Sota, page 49, it talks about what's going to be a lot. Certain things are going to be signs at the end of days. 
פני הדור כפני הכלב, the face of the generation is the face of dogs, there's going to be inflation, there's going to be modesty, very limited amount of musar and truth, those that actually tell the truth will be hated, and so on and so forth. But in one of the things it says, it's going to be a lot of chutzpah, brazen-faced people. It's going to be a lot of it. Meaning, the Erev Rav that's been around for all of these generations since the beginning of time, it's like they're all going to culminate and get to their peak and try to take control of everything, including the Jewish world. They're not just Esav. They're not just Goim. We're not just talking about Amalek. We're not just talking about the obvious Christian missionaries and Ishmael, uh, the Rashaim that tried to kill us, ISIS, and so on. We're talking about Erev Rav that's within us. Akol kol Yaakov esav. Their voice is like Yaakov, sounds like Jews, sounds like righteous people, but their actions are like Esav. So Rabbi Nachman from Breslev, from Breslev says, this brazenness, this attitude, this azpanim, is what sta- how, what's, what's one way that you know that somebody is azpanim? He doesn't allow any type of musar even next to him. Forget about listening to it himself. Forget about you giving him musar, listen, maybe you should do tshuva, you should be more modest, you should be more generous, you should do this. No, 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 forget about that. It's not even a chance. We're talking about he's anti. He is what Rabbi Israel Misalant wrote about almost 200 years ago. He's the infection in the Jewish world. He somehow got into the Jewish world, stuck around for 974 generations of these people, have stuck around somehow for the last almost 6,000 years. But they have a hat and a beard. Sometimes they have a kisurosh mitpachat, sometimes it's a wig. But they're not willing to listen to Musal. They're anti-Musal. But they look like tzaddikim, he says. He says, you look at them from the exterior, tzaddik. Tzaddiket, rabbanit. There's one reshait in Israel, calls herself the rabbanit. She teaches people to do tshuva. But what tshuva? Tshuva of Esav. What tshuva she teaches? She has dancing parties and studios and every all the men see her dancing with her kisui roshan with the mitpachat with the mitpachat she's blowing the horn on stage and having all the men watch her dance it's reshait merushait that's Erev Rav that's Erev Rav that's the least of her problems she's dancing in front of all the men and she's bringing women to dance in front of all the men. This is die but don't sin. But she calls of the Rabbanid and says, no, no, I'm helping people get close to Hashem. What Hashem? What? What Hashem? Which one? What are you talking about? Bil'am, Bil'am the Rasha knew that Hashem hated Zima. The Rasha prophet, even he knew that Hashem hates immodesty. You call yourself a Rabbanit and you're bringing immodesty to Am Yisrael. So Rabbi Nachman of Breslev is saying those types of people that look like tzaddikim, they're going to infest the Jewish world. You're not going to know. 
until you see their actions. Because a kol kol Yaakov, the voice, what they say, what sounds like, have emunah, give tzedakah, learn Torah, all these things, they sound Jewish. They sound tzaddikim. Real actions? That's Esav. Reminds me of a story. It was one time a woman who wanted to uh, go to India to go learn for one of the uh, one of their babas over there. She was very spiritual, and they told her, "Listen, we're going to go all the way to India to be spiritual. You're a Jew. Stay in Israel. We'll take you to a Jewish seminar. Learn some Torah. That's the most. It's the best spirituality in the world." A family just did shuva. No, come on, join us. No, 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 it's not for me, not for me. Miskena, she was empty. So listen, we're willing to even pay for your ticket to go to India. Just go to this seminar. Try it. Try it. Just go to this seminar. Go to this one lecture. One lecture will pay for the ticket to India. Okay. She goes to the lecture. As Hashem would have it, the lecturer doesn't show up. Room full of people, 500, 1,000 people. But the speaker couldn't make it. People are waiting. Most of them are not religious. Semi-interested. Somebody convinced them to come. Possible chance of them doing tshuva. Speaker, MIA. Hashem Elechem. Now you and me are thinking, wow, these people are probably Erev Rav. Hashem doesn't even want them to do tshuva. The Rambam says in Ilchot Tshuva, someone that's a min, someone that is a machtia rabim, makes other people sin, is a Christian missionary, or is a kofer, even if he's a Jew, tells other people to be mechalel Shabbat, tells people to come to parties on, you know, on Shabbat, do all these types of things that are against Hashem, he's considered a min. He does it intentionally, he does it knowingly, he's considered 100% mean. He says, Sam, you're not even allowed to help him do tshuva. Even if you want to help him, you're not allowed to help him. So you're thinking, oh, maybe this is Erev maybe not. No. The story would go, the organizers of this big lecture, this big event, they see there's a few avrechim in the front rows, a few Young guys, they're learning Torah. None of them are speakers. They're just coming to attend. They learn Torah. He said, no. One of you, who, who knows who's the oldest, who, who knows something? Everybody is shy. Nobody ever spoke publicly before. Everybody like buries themselves inside the chair. Listen, speaking publicly is not a uh, something you could just do. Not everybody. There's many, many chachamim that don't have the ability to speak. Just what they say in one sentence is more than I would know in the next hundred years, but they don't have the ability to speak. Hashem didn't give it to them. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't a good speaker, but Hashem intentionally did it that way. Why? So no one ever says, no, no, he fooled them because he was such a good speaker. He fooled them to follow the Torah. Like Obama fooled the American people to vote for him not once but twice. Why? No one can say one accomplishment the guy did in his entire life. Other than fooling the American people for eight years. What can they say? He's a good speaker. That's it. No one can ever say he achieved anything in his life. But he's a good speaker. Which he is. So Hashem specifically made 
Moshe Rabbeinu, a bad speaker. Stutter, stammer, mamash, horrible speaker. That's who's going to teach us Torah. So no one can ever say, no, he fooled us. He was, had a quick tongue. No, no, no. So now in this giant lecture, they're looking for somebody to speak. They take one day. Okay, you know, you're the oldest. Let's go. What are you learning? Oh, I'm looking at a little Gemara. Okay, no, what must say? Oh, Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, Baba Batra. So I'm learning. The Alachot. Okay, no, teach us about that. No, I don't know how to speak. Young guy, me skin. What does he know? He learned a little bit of Torah, but he's not a public speaker. He, go, he came to the speech to also be one of the fans, to also be one of the learners, one of the people that enjoys the speech. He didn't come to speak. But no, no, but you're the only one in this entire room that actually knows something. Everybody else is Chilonim. It's 500,000 people, Chilonim. They don't know anything. They know here and there a few things that their parents taught them, but they don't know much. You actually know Torah. You've been religious your whole life. No, tell them whatever you learn. Misken, the poor guy, didn't get, know what he got himself into. So, he goes on the stage, and he starts speaking. What are you going to speak about? He says, I'm going to speak about the duff that I'm learning, of what happens when you find something that was lost. In the Jewish world, when you find something that's lost, if the, you can't just pocket it like an animal. If to find out if it belongs to somebody. If it belongs to a Jew, you must return it. Unless it's going to cost you more to return it than it's worth. So for example, if you find a dollar in a wallet, and there's, let's say, there's a uh, ID of the person in there. You know that this belongs to Amos, who lives in Australia. You're in Israel, but you have one dollar in, uh, in, in the wallet. You don't have to return it. Why? Because it's going to cost you more to go travel to Australia. It's going to cost you $2,000 just for the plane ticket to go return a dollar. That's not, you're not obligated to do that. But if, let's say, he lives down the street, you have a couple hundred bucks in the wall, you have a hundred bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is, and it's, you have to return it. But long story short, there's a, there's a calculation of what you have to return, what you don't have to return, who to return, who not to return, if, it's for, if it belongs to a goy. You technically don't have to return it, but if you do, you can fulfill the biggest mitzvah in the Torah, which is Kiddush Hashem. So some people will say, no, listen, I found 500 bucks, I have confirmation it belongs to a goy, I'm pocketing it, it's nest from Shemaim. It's a miracle from Shemaim, which it could be. But the reward you're going to get when you return the 500 bucks to the goy, in Shemaim, when you sanctify Hashem's name and the guy knows, oh, I return, I, you know, you return it to me. Why? Why'd you return 500 bucks? I return it to you because that's what our Torah says. Hashem told us to return it. You just fulfilled Kiddush Hashem. You are super tzaddik. There's one tzaddik, I believe in New Jersey, bought a desk, a used desk, from some woman, a non-Jew, and when he got the desk, he, to put it into the house, he had to take it apart. And when he took it apart, he saw that inside the desk, there was a bag. So he took the bag, and he opened the bag, and he saw that there's almost $90,000 in cash in the bag, inside the desk. $90,000. This is a typical, just a 
rabbi. He's not like some rich guy. He has millions in the bank or anything. Guy's young guy, relatively newly married. Now he had a choice. Now, based on Allah, he can keep the money. Enjoy. Why? He bought it from a guy who pretty much has is lost it. She considered it lost. She didn't uh, even think about whether it was in there or not. It's a lot to keep it. But based on being a tzaddik, based on loving Hashem, he decided the right choice. What did he say? He said, I'm going to go return it to her. And late at night he called. By the time he got home from where this woman was living, it was late at night, but he called her. The woman nearly had a heart attack. She said, oh, I forgot about it. I lost this. This is part of my inheritance that I got, but I lost it many years ago. I lost it. I forgot where I put it. She forgot where she put almost $100,000 in cash. She forgot. She forgot. People are forgetful. Sometimes we forget stuff that's very valuable. But we think it is. Why did she forget it? So this Jew would have the test of what's more important to him. A few bucks or Kiddush Hashem. So this Jew went to this woman's house and he gave her the money. She gave him some type of compensation. She decided on her own. I don't know how much it was, but it doesn't make a difference. The compensation he got from Shemaim is endless. The story, the woman was so enthused about it, she decided to publicize it. She called the news for him. She called the news. He went on talk shows. People were just amazed. How do you, I mean, this guy multimillionaire maybe... This guy maybe has a foundation with a hundred zillion dollars. He has nothing to do with, but he just bought a desk for a couple hundred bucks. How much money could he possibly have? Became a very big Kiddush Hashem. So you have an opportunity to do Kiddush Hashem. If you find something, to return it to the Goy. Now back to our story. This woman is watching this young Avrech who doesn't know that much. He's not a public speaker. Teach. He says, this is Judaism. I'm going to India. I came all the way over here. There's a thousand people. What is he teaching us about if somebody lost a wallet? That's what Judaism is. That's what Hashem cares about. Cares about if, what you're going to do with the wallet. I'm going to learn from the guru in India. So she went to India. And over the next several months, she became BFFs with this guru. And she starts to learn from this guru with the rest of his students. And they all follow him every single step that he does. He moves this way, they move that way, he moves that way, they explain it. Oh, what was this? What was he thinking when he did that? Oh, it's the spirits, it's the this. They see him drinking urine, they want to drink urine, Hashem Menachem. All types of stupidity and foolishness that there's no end. There's no end to stupidity. Even Einstein, who wasn't a religious guy, he said there's only one thing that there's no limit of. What is it? Stupidity. There's an infinite amount of stupidity. Infinite. So, she's watching, she's becoming a guru. She's becoming one of his top students. And one day, this guru is in the street, and he sees a guy right in front of him with all the students. You know, it's like he's got an entourage. Everybody's walking with the guru. And they see 
the guy in front of him dropped a wallet on the floor. The guru picks it up right away, opens it up, sees there's a bunch of bills in there, and pockets the money, throws out the wallet. Takes the money, puts it in his pocket, throws out the wallet. Now the girl sees this, she goes, Hey, uh, you're a guru. Don't you think maybe you should uh, return it to him? It's good karma. He goes, no, no, it's good karma for me to have those extra money in my pocket. That's what good karma is. It's good karma for me to be rich. The idol sent me the money. Yeah, but you know it belongs to him. What sent you the money? If you just found money by itself in some box that was floating in the air, okay, send you the money. But you saw the guy that lost the money is two meters away from you. Misken, maybe it's his entire month's salary, entire year's salary. Maybe it's a loan. Maybe he's trying to, you know, he needs the money to save his son's life. You never know what this money is. He's going to pocket it. Hey, don't ask any questions. That's when this young Jewish woman realized Kol chokhmato lo shavaklum. All of his wisdom is worthless. Why? Ma'asav lotovim. His actions are no good. His actions are no good. Like in a Kuzari, had a dream. Angel came to him, said, Hashem, appreciate your intentions. You're trying to get close to him. You're trying to find the truth of who God is. But he doesn't appreciate or accept your actions because you're doing it through idol worship. So your intentions are good, but your actions no good. So this Jewish woman realized this is all shtuyot, this is all garbage. It's all fake. Karma, dharma, barma, all nonsense. The guy's in it for money. The guy is a pere adam, he's an animal. And to think that all the righteous people live back at home in Israel. Because even to find out what you do with a wallet that you find, we have Allah for that. We have rules of what you do when you find a wallet. I need to find out more. She went on the next plane to Israel and she went back to the seminar and she continued delving more and more into the Torah and Baruch Hashem did full tshuva and told the story to the world. When a nation has a holy Torah, a divine book, that even has rules of what to do with the lost and found department. It shows that you're not just an average person. You're part of something bigger than you. So now, Rabbi Nachman Vebreslev is saying this guy that's a Erev Rav, First sign, he's brazen. You tell him what to do, tells you, no, no, no. Karma says, the money belongs in my pocket. He doesn't want to hear any rebuke. He doesn't want to hear any musar. He doesn't want to hear anything, any corrections. Mind your own business. Okay, so I'm going to give, I won't bother you, but I'm going to give a drasha in your shul, in your community. No, don't come. What do you care? Don't, you don't have to listen yourself. 
You don't like me, fine. You don't like my Torah, fine, no problem. I'm not going to force you. You go your way, I'm going to go my way, but I'm going to go give a drasha in the Beit Knesset that's in your community or a different community. No! They go against it. They make websites and videos and all types of things just to get in the way of Musal. To get in the way of Musa so nobody else hears the truth. It's not just them. Now when a Christian missionary tells you the Torah is not true, all types of stuff, you expect it from him. You expect it from him. When a secular person that's an atheist tells you, ah, there's no this, there's no that, you expect it from him. The guy thinks he came from a monkey. Maybe he did. He thinks he came from a monkey. Maybe he's still a monkey. Maybe he didn't come from Maybe he's still a monkey. Misken. You expect it from him. But when a guy with a long beard and a hat says, don't go listen to Musa. We don't teach Musa. We don't do this. That's confusing. It's very confusing. Rabbi Nachman from Breslev says going to be a lot of that. Why? Because many of them are going to be the leaders of kolelim and yeshivot and governments and organizations. It's going to be a lot of confusion. The Baal Shem Tov says that in the end of days, We're going to learn what Shlomo HaMelech really meant. Secret part of a song that we sing every Friday night to our dear wives or mothers. Eshet Chayil. Eshet Chayil. Mimza. A woman of worth who can find far beyond pearls of value supposed to honor your wife, or if you're not married, see your father, Be'ezot Hashem, honoring your mom. It's a beautiful thing for children to see their parents express their love in a kosher way. Not in a gone nefesh way, they kiss in public and start touching each other. Nice way, even if it's a peck. It's nice if people, they kiss each other as a peck, and little kids seeing their parents' kiss, it's fine if it's in the house. But if they are very physical in the middle of the street or even in front of the kids. It's gone nif, it's disgusting. It's a kosher way of being affectionate and loving and it's actually healthy for young kids to see their parents loving each other and not thinking that this is Megatron and this is Darth Vader. He says no, she says whatever he said. Oh, it's nice. One of the nice kosher ways to show that the father, the husband, appreciates the wife is when he sings the song of Eshet Chayil with full kavanah. He looks at her when he sings it. And I learned a very nice minag from Rabbi Ephraim's father, Rav Chaim Kachlon. big chacham ba'uch Hashem, giant tzaddik. He's one of these people that you can definitely know he's fulfilling the first part of this verse. 
doesn't stop fulfilling mitzvah, Baruch Hashem. I learned something from him that Mama has changed my kiddush in my house forever. Even though it embarrasses my wife sometimes, she likes it. You know, in the song, if you read, it's very good, it's very important for every man to understand what he says in Eshet Chai. A lot of, a lot of men know the song by heart because you say it every Friday. But most don't know what it means. Like, I'm not even talking about the hidden meaning. I'm talking about the basic meaning. Basic meaning, what Eshet Chayil means. One of the things that, for example, you can learn from the song, is this whole concept of women not being allowed to wear colors. It's only in this generation. Like the whole concept of women having to wear black all the time, it's complete nonsense. It has no source whatsoever in the Torah. Yes, you have to be modest. No question about it. But if you look at the song of Eshet Chayil, which Shlomo HaMelech, Chacham Yikol Adam, Kodesh Kodeshim wrote it, with Ruach HaKodesh, he said the Eshet Chayil, the woman of worth, wore purple. Some say red. That's why Rav Mazuz, which is one of the Gedolei Adol, says really in reality, if you know how to wear it, you're allowed to wear red. As long as it's not, you're not a bust, you're not a uh, stop sign. But in essence, you're allowed to wear colors. There's no problem with wearing colors for women. As long as you're modest. There's a modest way to be colorful. It doesn't have to look like you're going to a funeral all the time. So whoever made up this minag that we have to always wear black all the time has no source whatsoever in the Torah. Of course, you have to be modest again. But as far as if you look at the psukim, he says the woman of worth, the ideal woman, in the song it says she wore purple. Ideal woman, she's wearing colors. Ideal. No. So stop uh, forcing women to look like they're going to a funeral all the time. By the way, that's actually... Used to be a minag where we weren't allowed to wear black. As a matter of fact. You weren't allowed to wear black. So anyway, in this song, when you understand this song, you start learning some amazing things. Towards the end of the song, it says, Sheker achen ve'evel ha'yofi, Yishayirat Hashem, iti talal. It's a, um, the, um, Baal Shem Tov gives a pirush on that. But nonetheless, the minag I learned from Rav Chaim was that when it gets to a point where it says there is a um, so it says there's a part where it says and you are above all of them. You. Meaning that there is oh, false is charm and vain is beauty. A woman who fears Hashem, she should be uh, uh, valued. So, in essence, in that section, it talks about you. You meaning the woman you're in front of. You are the one that should be praised. So the minaga I learned from is that when uh, when he does it, despite all of his kids and grandkids and everyone. When he sings this song every Friday night, he says, and you, he points at his wife, and you are above them all. You, 
So no one thinks, no, it's my daughter, it's my cousin, it's my mother, it's my... No, 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 you, my wife, you are above them all. So I did it. And it's very enjoyable and it's a little bit embarrassing, but it's always enjoyable because it's the truth. So I highly suggest it. First, I suggest for you to understand the words. Second, I suggest for you to honor your wife. Happy wife, happy life. So, what are you saying? Uh huh. Good, good. Key is to know what you're saying and mean it. That's the key. So now, in a uh, yeah, it says Rabot Banota Suchail Vat Altalit Al Kulana. Many women have amassed achievement, but you've surpassed them all. When you've surpassed them all, meaning you're above them all. You point at your wife. That's what I do. You don't have to do it, but I don't know. I look for Shlom Bait. So this is, this is what I do. I learned from Rav Chaim. So anyway, back to Inyanenu. The Baal Shem Tov, Allah Shalom, says the following. It says at the end in chapter, in Proverbs 31, verse 30, in this song, Eshet Chaim, Shlomo Melech says, Charm is false and beauty is vain. Charm is false and beauty is vain. A woman who fears Hashem, she should be praised. So the Baal Shem Tov says, in the end of days, in the end of days, you're going to know it's the end of days. What's going to be the sign, aside from all the things that we've talked about many, many times? He says that you're going to know it's the end of the times because people are going to be fooled to think that charm is truth and beauty is what they should be looking for. Instead of what the rest of the verse says, so instead of a woman who fears Hashem, she should be praised, instead they're going to look for charm and they're going to look for beauty. They're going to look for the arm candy, not for Yerat Shamayim. They'll look for the woman that's willing to wear a long wig and high heels, not the tzaddikit that's wearing to wear a scarf and only show a husband her hair, and be modest inside and outside the house. No, no, that, that, they don't want that. Baal Shem Tov says, you start seeing that, even in the religious world, it's the end of times. Who is the biggest pusher of all this? Erev Rav. Erev Rav. So, if you notice, there is an interesting connection with this Mishnah to the beginning of Pirkei Avot. In the beginning of Pirkei Avot, in chapter 1, the second Mishnah, and actually the third Mishnah, it appears that this Mishnah is really a break-off from those two Mishnayot. 
So the second Mishnah in Avot is by Shimon HaTzadik. And he says, three thi- on three things the world is based on, on Torah and service of Hashem, and the acts of loving kindness. So first and foremost, he's telling you exactly what this Mishnah is saying. You can learn all the Torah in the world. But if you're not going to fulfill it, it's not worth anything. So this is already what we learn as the second Mishnah. He said there's three things that the entire world stands on. Which is the Torah. Actually fulfilling the Torah, which is the service of God. And the acts of loving kindness. So here he's telling you that you can't just learn Torah. You actually have to fulfill it. But then the next Mishnah by Antigonos Isoho He's telling you how to fulfill this Mishnah already. Here he's telling you if all of your Maasim are to fulfill the Torah, you're using the Chokhmah, you're learning, you're, you're using your learning in order to do Maasim Tovim, Chokhmah your learning is useful, that's Torah. But if you're just learning to tell people you know stuff, to get degrees, to put plaques on the wall, to be in newspaper articles. It's not worth anything. So how do you get to that point? He says it's a very, very simple. You listen to what Atigonos already said in the third Mishnah. Lo almenat lekavel pras. Don't serve Hashem for the purpose of reward. Don't serve Hashem just because you're going to get a reward. Serve Hashem because that's what you're supposed to do. Now, of course, you're going to get a reward anyway. But if you only do it for the reward, it's not going to last. Now, in this week's parasha, we see another connection. We see that Hashem already told us the land of Israel is Eretz Zavat Chalavudvash, land of milk and honey. Amazing, great. I've been waiting to give it to you. The whole globe was created, but this is the best part. This is the best. It's for you. It's for you. What are they saying? Can we check it before we go? Can we go inside? Can, can we take a peek? What, you don't believe me? Tell them. Hashem doesn't get in the way of your free will. Even if your free will is stupid. Even if your free will is going get, to get you into trouble. He doesn't get in the way. Go. But know that you're putting yourself at risk. Why? Because your free will is going to put you in a situation where you're going to Use your own logic. And when you use your own logic, you can get in trouble. Because your own logic is not divine logic. So nonetheless, 
he sent the leaders of Am Yisrael. The leaders. So no one says, oh no, these guys were bought off. Or these guys were not smart. These guys were not righteous. All of them were tzaddikim. All 12 were tzaddikim. And Moshe Rabbeinu gives them specific instructions of what to look for. When you go into the land, check v'ayesh ba'etz. Check if there's tree there. If there's a tree in the land. And if there is, strengthen yourself. And take fruit from the land. Now the pshat is check if there's trees. And if there's trees, benefit from it. And bring back some fruits for us to see what kind of fruits there is. That's the pshat, which they actually did. It says they brought the um, grapes. Eight people had to carry one thing of grapes. That's the pshat. The chidush here is that Moshe Rabbeinu is not really talking about the eights. If he was talking about the eights, he'd be talking about eitzim. He'd be saying in plural, are there trees there? Why, you're going to go to the entire land and look for one tree? If there's one tree, it's a problem. Come back home. Before you starve to death. If there's one tree in the entire land, come back home. It's better off staying in the desert. We may, we may find more than one tree. So if we're really looking for one tree, you have a problem. If you remember from Tefillat Shachrit, at the end of Shachrit, after Alen Shabeach, you read a little bit more, a few more paragraphs. It's one of the Sukim in the Torah. Etz chayim in machazikim ba betomchei meushar. Right? Etz chayim. What etz chayim? Etz is a tzaddik. Etz is a tzaddik. Moshe Rabbeinu Chazal is explaining to us in a different verse. Is asking them find out if Job, the tzaddik, if he's there. Job. Some say he existed. Some say there's actually a machloket. Some say he was just a book that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. This is one of the supporting verses that says that Job was not only alive and well, and it's a real story, but actually Moshe Rabbeinu was looking for him. Says, go and see if there's a etz. And what's the support for it that this is etz? Because it says, if there's a etz, titchazkul. Get stronger. Well, you get stronger by looking at a tree. Where do you get stronger from? Where do you get chizuk from? From a tzaddik. So now he's telling him, go, look for the tzaddik. See if this land has any schuyot. The people that live there are only living there because there has to be a tzaddik. Later on, when Kalev tells people, no, no, we can beat these giants. Why? Because they don't have the eights. Not they didn't have trees. They don't have the tzaddik anymore. So now, we see that he's sending the gdoleado. He's sending the leaders. And these leaders come back, 10 out of 12 of them come back with some bad news. The land is full of 
He's full of, remember last week we talked about who Erev Rav is. Erev Rav has five different types of Erev Rav. One of them is Amalek. Another one is Giborim. Another one is Anakim. Another one is Refaim. Another one is Nephilim. When they come back, they tell us that at the very least, literally, they write this three out of the five in there. Nephilim are there. Amalekim are there. And the Anakim are there. Three out of five Erev Rav are there. Also, we have Erev Rav with us also. So we're surrounded by Erev Rav. No wonder we had bad news. No wonder we had bad news. And after they give us this bad news, everybody goes into a panic, loses all the amunah that they have, starts hysterical crying, and Hashem says, after all the miracles I did for you in Egypt, Mount Sinai, everything I did for you, you're still complaining? You're still complaining? And who does he kill? He kills all the leaders. Those ten people out of the twelve that said Lashon Ara about the land, he kills them in a very, very unusual death. Mita Meshuna. For saying Lashon Ara about the land. They didn't say Lashon Ara about people. They said Lashon Ara about land, about trees and rocks. So imagine when the Rambam says someone who says Lashon Ara on a regular basis has no share of the world to come. So when he says it, people, oh, come on, Rambam, everybody says Lashon Ara. He says, well, listen, the Miraglim, the Gemara, Masechet Sanhedrin says, they said Lashon Ara on land, on rocks, on mountains, on trees. And they have no share of the world to come. They have no share of the world to come. No chelik lo'olam haba. What about when you say Lashon Ara about a person? What about when you say Lashon Ara about Talmit Chacham? Shem Rachem. So now all of this Moshe Rabbeinu is dumbfounded again. The very same people he puts in charge cause all the problems. When was the last time? Last week. Last week's parasha, if you remember, Am Yisrael was complaining about the man. The food that had any flavor you want. They said they want a chicken too. But you have food, you can make a chicken if you want. No, we want chicken itself. But you have food, you can make it steak also. But we want chicken and steak. But you have food, you can make it ice cream. But we want that specifically. They wanted to just complain. Things were too easy. They wanted to complain. So, what does Hashem do? He punishes all the leaders. If you remember in last week's parasha, in chapter 11, Verse 1, it says, The 
the people took to seeking complaints, started complaining these people, and it was evil in the ears of Hashem. And Hashem heard, and His wrath flared, and the fire of Hashem burned against them, and it consumed at the edge of the camp. So Chazal says, what does it mean? It consumed the edge of the camp. Why not just consume one of the camps? Why not it consume Tzvika, Shmuli, David, and all the guys are saying, complaining. He says, no, no. It consumed the edge of the camp, meaning all the leaders. They were all on the edge of the camp. The fire consumed all of them, not the rest of the nation. Why not the rest of the nation? Because when the leaders heard the people complain, the only purpose for them being leaders is to rebuke the people. You hear them complaining? What are you complaining? Who are you complaining? You're complaining against your wife? That's one thing. Complaining against the Shem? Complaining against your kids? That's one thing. Complaining against the Shem? Complaining against your husband? It's one thing. Complaining against your boss? It's one thing. Complaining against the Shem? The same one that gave you the air you breathe? The same one that's giving you eyes to see? The same one that gave you a tongue to speak? You're using the tongue? They complain against him. The same one that's giving you Parnassah, you're complaining he's not giving you enough. So you could buy a brand new car. The same one that gave you Refuash Lema, you're complaining about him for anything that you're complaining. Do you know who you're complaining against? On them it's written, Am Naval Velochacham. Foolish people, not smart. Why not smart? They used the tools that Hashem gave them against Him. This is a Maaseh, not just Satan. This is also a day to day thing of Erev Rav. Erev Rav, they don't, it's not just making mistakes all of us make. We all take Hashem's name for granted, His chesed that He gives us for granted. We, none of us appreciate Him enough. But the Erev Rav, that's mentioned in this parasha, that's mentioned in this Mishnah, that's mentioned by Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev, that's mentioned by the Baal Shem Tov, that's mentioned by Vilna Gaon, it's mentioned in over 1,700 sources. And we only touched maybe, I don't know, two dozen in the last two weeks. The Erev Rav, it's not, that's not their problem. What's their problem? They're not just naval velochacham. They're not just making complaints. They're using the Torah to make complaints. They're the types that write articles that says, no, 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 this thing about homosexuality, no, there's no way that Hashem really meant it. That would be really be mean. If Hashem said that it's not allowed to be homosexual, that would be mean to the homosexual people. How come they don't say it about kleptomaniacs? It's really mean that you don't let people light your house on fire. Pyromaniacs or kleptomaniacs steal. It's really mean that you don't let them steal your whole house. The Rambam called those people Naval Birshuta Torah. They take the Torah and they twist it and squeeze it and do whatever they need in order to make etel, in order to make leniencies that are not really leniencies. They go against the Torah by using the Torah. 
So when we said the Chidush from Yaakov Avinu last week, Rabbi Ephraim expanded on it. When Yaakov Avinu said that in the end of days, told his son certain things that are going to happen, we talked about it a month ago or so ago that there's a prophecy about missionaries. Last week we talked about the prophecy from Yitzchak Avinu, where he says, Akol kol Yaakov, esav. The voice is the voice of Yaakov, but the hands are the hands of Esav. Ephraim expanded on a chidush. He says, another way that you can see that this is actually specifically talking about, or at least a remez, at least a hint, to his of Rav, is that not only do they sound like Yaakov, but the actions of Esav, but it even tells you how they sound. Because the, the, the literal verse says, the voice is the voice of Yaakov, but the hands of, of Esav. So the word voice is twice. Akol, kol. But the way it's spelled in the Torah is that there's one letter missing in one of them. One is spelled with kuf lamed, one is spelled with kuf vav lamed. Same word, but spelled two different ways right next to each other. Why? Because it says the hakol can also be said hekel. Makil is, is making leniencies. Lenience and lenience and lenience and more lenience and more leniencies. Eventually, you give a dog a bar mitzvah. With feeling. So Rabbeinu Yonah says that if someone commits himself wholeheartedly to the ways of the Torah, he receives a merit for what is revealed to him as well as what's still unknown to him. As did Israel and Mount Sinai when they declared, We will do and we will hear. This is in Sharet Chuva, chapter 2, verse, um, paragraph 10, or section 10. So, Abenu gives us a little bit of hope here. He says, When you're doing Chuva, you're not going to know the entire Torah overnight. So a lot of people get very worried. Like, listen, some of the stuff that Chazal said is very scary. I don't know how to do all these things. I don't even know all these things exist. Rabbeinu Yunai is saying, don't worry. If your actions are superior to your chokhmah, Meaning, you're learn everything you're learning. You're putting it into effect. You learn halachot Shabbat, you keep Shabbat. Whatever you learn, you do. You learn about modesty, you keep it. 
You learn about tzedakah, you keep it. You learn about anything else. Business, you keep it. Whatever you learn, you do. He says then your heart is in the right place. That's real tshuva. Rabbi Yonah wrote a whole book about tshuva. Because how? Because it was his own tshuva. Over 20 years he did tshuva for a mistake he made about how he judged the Rambam. And he spent the rest of his life doing tshuva for it. But nonetheless, he's telling you all the things that you don't know, one of two things are going to happen. If, you're, if your heart is in the wrong place, if the only reason you're getting involved into religion is because there's a possible business opportunity there. You're starting to go to Beknesset because there's a rich guy there you want to do business with. You're not really going to Beknesset to pray to Hashem. You're going to Beknesset so you could talk to Mr. So-and-so, so maybe he could buy your company, or maybe he can give you a job. You're giving tzedakah, not because you want to help build the Beknesset, or Sefer Torah, or anything. You're giving it because you want to put a sign on the building, so everybody knows, Ruven built his Beknesset. Some people spend $100,000 on tzedakah, and $400,000 on advertising the tzedakah. He says that, then, Chokhmatolo mitkayemet. All the knowledge that you have, it's not worth anything. But if your intentions are good, you try to do your best. I don't have much, but I have 50 bucks I could donate for maybe help some avrech get through the month. I have 50 bucks I could donate, maybe help people do some tshuva. I have 50 bucks, maybe get the guys a little bit of uh, snacks for the Shul Torah. I have 50 bucks, maybe help this poor woman, lost her husband, miskena, help her get through the month. You don't have much, but you give. Your intentions are good. So Ben Yonah says, you get mitzvah for what you do, and you also get mitzvah for things you don't do. Because you're going to get to it. You're going to get to those things, because you're continuing to learn. Not if you're just a nice guy. Nice guy just because you don't kill people, doesn't really make you a nice guy. Talk about a nice guy based on Torah. You're learning, you're learning, you're learning. Rabbeinu Yonah says, you're in good shape. But if your heart is in the wrong place, you may be Erev Rav still. We still haven't discovered. We still haven't confirmed you're Erev Rav or not. So now... Chazal continues and says, Anyone whose wisdom exceeds his good deeds, the wisdom will not endure. Says someone that doesn't allow whatever he studies to shape his Torah, to shape his life, and change his conduct, it's better off that he didn't study at all. If someone takes Torah, he learns it every day, he comes, Rabbi Raphael, I want to learn Alachot with you. I want to learn Musar with you. I want to learn whatever. And he learns with him. And with the Mitzirut Nefesh, the Rabbi teaches him. But he sees the guy, still a thief, still immodest, still Mechalel Shabbat, 
Nothing changed. We learn Musar or every Tuesday night. The guy still acts like an animal in the middle of the street. He's still yelling at people, still this. So it's better off he didn't learn. It's better off he didn't learn. Why? We learn from this Dechemid, who Ramafai mentions in his book, that we mentioned before. V'adam shelamad v'yodea et ine milev v'bechol ha'ofen olech v'tsofe b'nashim, כתב בספר חסידים שלא רק יענש על עצם מה שצופה בנשים, אלא יענש גם על מה שלמד כבר. So there's a guy that already learned that he's not allowed to do certain things, and he still does them. He not only gets punished, we talked about this in the beginning issue, he not only gets punished for the sin, but he gets punished for everything that he learned. Why? Because he didn't learn for the purpose of doing. And the Gemara says in Shabbat, that it's better that he didn't come to the world. In another place it says that it was better that the shilya, shilya is, how do you say shilya in English? The placenta choked him in his mother's uterus. If he learned not to fulfill, it's better that he didn't come to the world. Because now you're going to get punished double. And Hashem doesn't want to bring you to the world to punish you. So you're putting Hashem in a situation he doesn't want to be in. He wants to reward you. He wants to give you good. You're forcing his hand to punish you. Rashi says someone that learns but has no is not fulfilling what he learns is like a woman who gives birth to children only to bury them. Like the only reason she wants to have kids is just so she can bury them one day. As crazy as that sounds, is what Rashi says. It says it's you're going to learn Torah, the holiest of holy, the instruction to everything good, and you're not going to use it. Tiferet Israel says someone who only fulfills the commandments that he thinks he understands. Not even sure he understands it, doesn't understand it, but this is the one, okay, this one makes sense to me. Tzitzit, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't like tzitzit. Four corners, this corner, it's not for me. We don't have the tchelet. You know, people that don't wear tzitzit, they have 550 million excuses. We don't really have the tchelet, and in the Torah it says tchelet, and it also says four corners. I'm not wearing four corners. And you know, and this, and it's hot, and it's cold, and we live here, and we have 500,000 excuses of why they're not wearing tzitzit. Which, by the way, anyone that's a Jew doesn't wear tzitzit, it's the biggest fire in the world. Biggest fool in the world. Why? Every second you wear tzitzit, mitzvah. Now, if you don't wear tzitzit, what does it mean? It either means you're a fool, or it means you don't know what a mitzvah is. People in this world... They work an entire life to get one fortune. Entire life. To consume, to have a huge amount of fortune, to be a millionaire, to be a billionaire. But it's one fortune. You don't die with two fortunes. You have one fortune. You have 10 million or 5 million, you have 100 million, whatever it is, it's one fortune. Your whole life is this. But you die, it stays here, you go somewhere else. Sometimes the somewhere else is hot, sometimes it's not so hot. Depends. But the point is, the fortune stays behind. So you work your whole life to give somebody else stuff. 
Everybody else benefits out of the fortune. Not you. If you spent less effort, less, you can get a trillion times more fortune for every second. If you actually knew what a mitzvah is. One mitzvah is worth more than all of the fortune that every human being has ever had from the beginning of time till the end of time combined. For the smallest mitzvah, pick any mitzvah you want. Rabbinical, biblical, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Big or small. So if you're going to get a mitzvah for every second you wear tzitzit, who's the fool's not wearing tzitzit? Or they don't know what a mitzvah is. Baruch Hashem, now they know. So now, Tiferet Yisrael is saying, if he's only going to fulfill the mitzvah that he understands, he's using the wisdom that he's gaining to limit God and to limit his commitment to God. He says, God, when I understand what you mean, I'm going to do it. So, you're using the chokhmah you're learning to say, this is where we draw the line, me and Hashem. Hashem, I understood. Betilatidayim, I understood. I don't want dirty hands anyway. Motsi, I understand. Say thank you when I eat. I got that. I even say thank you to the Mexicans. Send me a sandwich. I'll say thank you to Hashem that gave me the sandwich also. Give me the money for the sandwich. No problem. Makes sense. Modani lefanecha. Melechai vekayam. I understand you're giving back my soul. No problem. I'll say thank you. I understand those mitzvot. Tfili, not so much. Put this cow skin on my arm, on my head. has some scrolls in it. I don't really understand it, but a bunch of these Chabadniks are doing it. So you know what? Let me just do it. I'll let this one pass. I'll let this one pass. But that's it. That's when we cross the line. Don't start telling me, keep Shabbat. Don't start telling me I have to be, you know, look like a human being with clothes on. Don't start telling me stuff like that because that stuff, I don't understand. We live in Florida. It's very hot. It's almost a rule to be naked. You look unusual if you wear clothes here. It says someone like that is using the chokhmah that he's learning. He's going to the Shul Torah. For what? Not to get closer to God. Tiferet Yisrael is saying he's not using the Torah to get closer to Hashem. He's using the Torah to make a line between him and Hashem. No different than the Meraglim. Instead of the Meraglim, the spies, using the gift that Hashem gave us, land of milk and honey, and showing that we trust Him with full faith, what do they say? We trusted that you took us out of Egypt. We trusted that you protected us in the desert so far. We trusted that you gave us the Torah, all that's good. But giving us new homes, that's where we draw the line, Hashem. Let us check what neighborhood you're going to build them at. Let me check the neighborhood. Let me see if there's a, uh, a pool hall, a movie theater. Let me see if there's a nice basketball court there. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe a shiva for the kids. They're just not too big because you, know, you don't want to get infected with too much religion. So they use the religion, what? They use the Torah, the chokhmah that Hashem gave them, for what? To make a line. Not to connect to Hashem, to separate from Hashem. Tikkun Moshe is saying that 
the point of your Torah learning is supposed to be implemented in a way that you're using this wisdom to create protective fences for yourself from your own Yetzirah. Because only you know your Yetzirah better than anybody else. So you know your limitations. You know that certain things attract you, certain things don't attract you. If someone, for example, used to be a drug addict, they know that they can't be around certain people that still do it, go to parties, talk about it. If somebody used to have a problem wasting seed, they know that they can't be around certain women unless they're with their wife and they can protect their eyes. And even then, you should be careful. Somebody has a gambling problem, they know they shouldn't hang out with the old friends they used to play poker with. And so on and so forth. So this wisdom that you're learning from a Torah, you're supposed to use it to protect yourself. Not to separate yourself from Hashem. But the only type of wisdom that could actually do this is wisdom that you worked hard for. Meaning wisdom that you learned through learning Torah by effort. Not just by, it was easy for you. It's known that in the early stages of childhood, there are many, many kids that excel in school, in yeshivot. But later on, they fail miserably in the bigger yeshivot and don't even make it to kolel. And the kids that were less smart and less talented end up surpassing them many times. Now, logically, this doesn't make sense. If this guy was born with a very high IQ, he's gotten, you know, the memory gift where he's got photographic memory. He looks at a page and he remembers the whole thing. Naturally, you would think this guy is going to be gdoladol. You were gifted Photographic memory? You look at a page, like Avavad, you would look at a page and remember every single word. On the way from Yeshiva, you would walk as young, uh, young, uh, young guys, Em and Rav Tzion Shaul, would walk, instead of taking the bus, they would walk all the way home for an hour, and Avavad would repeat one of the pages that he looked at before he left, and Rav Tzion would elaborate on it. They'd learn together by Rav Avadya saying what he saw, what's written on the page, and Rav Tzion would actually delve into it. As if the book is right in front of them. So many people wish they had such a gift. Some people have this gift. And instead of using it to become Talmit Chacham, to be a gaon, what do they do? They memorize phone books. They tell you the phone number of Mr. Smith in Oklahoma. And Mr. Stevenson in the town of Lawrence. You idiot. You have the gift that everyone is dying to get. What do you use it for? To learn a phone book. To remember what the newspaper said. There used to be a guy would go to the one of the uh, huts over there, look at the newspaper, 
once in a few minutes, go back to the yeshiva and the rest of the day, give a lecture to everyone about what he read in the newspaper. Because he remembered every single word. Instead of memorizing the entire Gemara, instead of memorizing the entire Tanakh, the entire Shas, the entire Zohar, the entire the, the, the books that have the secrets to life. What are you memorizing? Newspapers. You're memorizing who died today, who didn't die today, who's a terrorist, who's not a terrorist, who's running around half naked, who's expecting to have a baby. Mamash, the biggest foolishness known to men, this generation. Instead of using this gift for something good, they take it for granted. Why? Because they didn't work hard for it. Where the guy didn't have the memory, in order for him to remember a daf gemara, he had to sweat. He had to go over it a hundred times. He's going to become Tamid Chacham. Why? Because already as a kid, he got used to working hard. This is why any parent that loves their kid should stop helping them so much. Parents that do homework for their kids are destroying them. If you're doing homework for your kid, you are destroying your child. You are doing something evil. Because you are showing your child an unrealistic world. Oh, but the work is so hard. Why? All the other kids? It's not hard for them too? What? The teachers are all demented? They don't know that your kid and all the other kids can't spell? No, they can because they're already 10 years old. They should be able to spell by now. You don't need to do their homework. No, but he's busy. What? Playing video games? What is he busy with? Oh, his friends. What's his friends going to do for him in Olam Abba? So all these parents that are doing their kids' homework, you are creating a monster. You're destroying your child. Your child is going to be a lazy person. He's not going to be successful in life. I'm not talking about make money. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But in reality, most likely he won't. Unless Abba gives it to him. He's going to get used to getting handouts. He's going to walk into a job right after school that you paid a zillion dollars for, expecting to make just as much money as the CEO he saw on TV. I used to have these kids come to my job. Asking for a job. And I tell them, okay, so starting salary is this and this. Like, what? I just graduated Harvard. I just graduated uh, this one. I just graduated that one. I said, congratulations. All that graduation is worth this much to me. You want to go somewhere else? Oh, he goes, I don't have anywhere else to go to. I'm like, okay, so this is what it's worth. Everyone else is telling you it's not worth anything. I'm at least giving you a value. Yeah, but I thought this. I'm like, you thought mistaken. It's not my problem you owe a quarter million dollars to college. It's not my problem that you were a philosophy major for the last 800 years. It makes no difference to me. I need you for a specific job. What is that job? You call Mr. Jones, you tell him, Mr. Jones, Ron Rubin's on the phone. Hold on one second. Mr. Rubin, Mr. Jones on the phone. Okay, thank you. I take the phone. That's your skill set. Yeah, but I know how to write. Your writing skills are useless to me. All I need you to do is dial a phone for me. Dial 
the number. Here's the phone number, here's the name, here's the address. Make sure you call the state at the proper times. Don't call California at 8 o'clock in the morning in New York, because that's 5 o'clock in the morning. They'll sue me. Only start calling at 11. All, your job is to connect me to Mr. Jones. That's your job, and I'll pay you for it. Yeah, but I have a degree in what? Communications. Exactly. You're communicating with Mr. Jones. Yeah, but I used to be a A student. When? In eighth grade when your mom was doing your homework? When? That's what it's worth. These kids think that they're supposed to make $100,000 a year. It's wrong. These kids think they're supposed to be millionaires before they're 30. That's wrong. Nothing is supposed to be. Nothing. The fact that you're alive is a miracle, Bechlal. But if you are enabling the kids by doing everything for them, you're destroying them. Doing their homeworks, giving them a reward every time they get sixth place in the competition. There's a, uh, what is it, attendance trophy or participation trophy. You should call it a different name, loser trophy. You're a loser, you got a trophy for it because we feel bad for you and your parents paid 500 bucks. You are creating losers. This is what we're learning here. Why? Because the reality of it is if you want the wisdom to stay, you have to work hard for it. You want something to stay, you have to work hard for it. You want to appreciate something, you want to work hard for it. And I'll give you my own personal test. All personal test is an example that I have, a, I have a tough time with regularly. It's very hard for me. In the business world, it's to make a lot of money, as many people know. And people will be willing to pay me, not just to hear my voice as far as advice for all types of things, but also to speak and so on. In so many words, at the height of my career, I was making about $3,000 an hour. Meaning, one hour of my Precious time was worth three three thousand bucks. So today, you know, Baruch Hashem doing tshuva, doing kiruv. We follow after our rabbis, and our rabbis, Rav Ephraim, Rav Mizrahi, have told us that the number one job that you're supposed to do is get people to come back to Hashem. That's it. So okay, so how much do I make? Nothing. What do you mean? So $3,000 an hour? No, no, nothing. Wait, so how much do I charge, though? The not, okay, the nothing part, I got it. But how much do I, I charge, though? But the nothing, I don't, I don't know what that means. But how much do I charge? No, no, you don't charge anything. What do you mean? So I'm going to live. It's like, Hashem's going to give it to you. This is what they told me a few years ago. I'm like, what do you mean Hashem's going to give it to me? What am I, in the, in the middle of the desert, expecting man? There's, last time I checked, man's not coming down. Especially not to somebody like me. I saw, listen, if I'm Chacham Ovadia, if I'm some Gdolado, somebody special, okay, maybe I'll get man. Me, I'm not even going to get a Kit Kat. What am I going to get? I'm going to work for free. Like, yeah. I said, so how am I going to live? It's like the same way you've been living till now. I'm like, that Hashem thing you've been saying. It's like, yeah, yeah. So in the beginning, it was very hard for me. I'm like, I don't understand. Okay, fine. Giving lectures, no problem. Helping people do tshuva, no problem. Working 24 hours a day, I'm used to it. But for free? 
Get these different rabbis, they come to shuls, $50,000, $100,000. A bad speaker gets 1500 or 2000 a bad one, guy that just got out of school. He barely knows how to spell. He gets $1,000, $1,500. Decent speaker, $10,000, $15,000. If I go back into, let's say, the business world, for a speech, I can make a fortune. Obama gets $600,000 a speech right now. I'm not going to get $600,000, but I'm definitely not getting free. So this was very hard for me in the beginning. I'm like, I don't understand. But, Baruch Hashem, we listened to our rabbis. So we went. And however Hashem does it, He does it every single month, and Baruch Hashem, we don't like anything. The point is, is that till this day, I struggle with it. Not because I need money, not because I lack anything. Baruch Hashem, everything we need, we have. Why? Because I still have this business mindset that if you don't pay for it, you don't appreciate it. Because that is a realistic mindset in this world. People do not appreciate things they don't pay for. They don't. When Rabbi so-and-so came to BRS, they paid him $50,000, no problem. People spoke about this lecture as if it was Moshe Rabbeinu who came there. When another rabbi so-and-so came there for a Shabbaton, they paid him twelve or 15000 People spoke about it like it was, wow, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Now, don't get me wrong, these are Talmidim Chachamim, no disrespect whatsoever, especially since the Gemara in Masechet Eruvin says that someone that's a Mevazeh, a Talmidim Chachamim, Sofo Betzoar Otachat, in the end, he's going to go into the part of Geinom that has uh, uh, feces. So definitely no mevazeh anybody. Shrecha, you could get $50,000 for a speech. Congratulations. No problem. I just never get it. It's hard for me to understand how this system makes sense. Because the reality of it is, the guy that charged $50,000, they talk about him all the time. The guy that charged $15,000, talk about them all the time. All these people that charge money, talk about them all the time. Nobody does any tshuva, by the way. No one does anything. They just talk about it. It's, you know, theoretical. So it was something really, really hard for me to deal with. And that's when I asked them. Again, I keep going over this with my rabbis, and they tell me, listen, what do you want? You want to make money, or you want to help people do tshuva? I said, tshuva. I said, okay, tshuva is free. You want to make money? You can't rebuke anybody. You can't tell people the truth. Because no one's going to pay you to tell them they have to do tshuva. No one's going to pay you to tell people they have to work on themselves because they're all reshaim in the eyes of Hashem. No one's going to pay you to tell them that their wife has to throw out the three wigs that are $5,000 each. No one's going to pay you to tell them they have to keep Shabbat because the guy with the most amount of money just drove with a Ferrari on Shabbat to your lecture. No one's going to pay you for that except him. So that's what we do. So, oh Hashem, there's different miracles on a regular basis. Different people donate. People sponsor CDs. We have at least get people to sponsor CDs, like, uh, you know, so there's more key roof. But it's still hard to make that switch 
simply because I know the mindset. I know the mindset that when you pay for something, you value it. When you work for something, you value it. If you work for your Torah, it'll last. If you just have are using your natural born skills of memory, of intellect to memorize a few things, you won't fulfill that Torah. One of the amazing stories I read, I actually heard it originally about two, three years ago from Rabbi Ephraim, but I also read it in this great book called Legacy of Leaders by uh, Rav Yuda Azulai, and it's uh, about the Zdechemid. Zdechemid, Allah Shalom, was one of the giants in previous generations, and uh, he says that when he was just a young Avrech, Young Avrech, there's nothing special about him. He says, as a matter of fact, I had to work really, really hard just to understand and get by. I was definitely not one of the top students. Far, far away from it, I was trying to get by. One thing I was, I tried really hard. But there was this one guy with a lot of natural-born skills. Memory, looks, came from a good family, wealthy family, and so on. For whatever reason, he hated me. Hated me. Just whatever he could, he hated me. I never knew why. I would just go, I learned my... I didn't want to need to learn. But one day, this guy comes to the kolel when nobody's there, and he tells the Arab cleaning lady, listen, you see that guy? looking at Sdechemid. It says, him, I want you to tell the Rosh Yeshiva tomorrow, or tonight even, that Shem uh, touched you. Now when someone in the secular world, for, you know, makes such a sin, Shem Echem, a uh, rape or a uh, something like that. I was like, oh, it's... What do you expect? It happens. People always shocked for a moment, but they move on very quickly. Especially in today's world. Two people broke out of prison today. Most people already forgot about it. Or they don't even know. There's a school shooting almost every other week, it seems like at least. People are like, oh, yeah, another school got shot. What do you mean, another school got shot? What do you mean? When I was a kid, the first, uh, the Columbine shooting that they had, I was still young at the time. The whole world was shocked. Wow, kids shot up a school? What's wrong with these kids? Who are their parents? It was a big thing. They made a movie about it. It was shocking. Everybody got scared. I mean, we were going to public school. We didn't know any different. But still, we're like, oh, start looking around. The other kids, who's going to shoot? No one knew what to do. Now, there's like 10 of them a year. It seems like it's every month there's some other crazy kid shooting somewhere. Everybody got like comfortably numb. We're numb to these things. Same thing goes with rape, Hashem Elohim, with child molestation, Hashem Elohim, even in the Jewish world. No one wants to talk about it. No one's talking about that there's some of these reshaim with a beard are raping little kids, but the kid's too scared. Why? Because maybe they kick him out of yeshiva. That's the Erevav, by the way. These things happen. We need to talk about them. We need to kick these reshaim out. 
Stop standing quiet. Worry about him, not him. But we got numb. But in those days, Rav Chaim Medini was something like this happened. A Jew, especially a Tamit Chacham, young scholar, touching an Arab woman. Big Chilul Hashem. Big problem. He says, listen, the guy, the Rasha, tells her, listen, I'm going to pay you $10,000, obviously in those days money. Tomorrow you come to the Rosh Yeshiva, you make a big scene, he touched you. Arab woman, cleaning lady, she makes 50 bucks a day. Of course, what's she going to say? No. Next day a big scene happens. Shem Achem, say, this guy touched me. Everyone doesn't know what to do. It's a big chaos. Big problem. The Rosh Yeshiva, he knows who his student is. There's no way he did it. There's no way he did it. But apparently everybody thinks he did it. So he says to Rav Medini, why don't you go out of town? Let things cool off. Come back. A few months, a few years. Whenever things cool off, I'll send you a message. May take a few years till people forget about this. But I know you didn't do it. Between you and me, I know you didn't do it. It's just that everybody else thinks it is. Listens to his love, he leaves town. Knowing he didn't do it, he doesn't even try to fight for himself. He just that's what the Rav says to leave, I leave. A few days later, the Rasha dies. Hashem punishes him like he deserves. And he dies and goes straight to Gehenom. Eventually, the money that the Arab woman made runs out. And she starts all of a sudden getting a conscience. You know, when you have money, usually you put the conscience in the safe. The money in your pocket. When there's no money in the pocket, you take whatever's in the safe. So the conscience comes back. So... The conscience came back. She starts feeling bad. She just ruined this kid's life. So she asked the Rosh Hashiva, where, 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 where's the, uh, the young guy? He goes, oh, he's in so-and-so town. He's far away. It's been a long time. I haven't heard from him. So she goes on her way to go find him. And she finds him. And he tells a story. The Stechem, it says, one night I'm studying, I'm learning at the Kolel. And this Arab woman comes to me and she says, do you remember me? And I said, yes. She goes, listen, I really, really feel bad about what happened. And uh, I can't sleep at night and I really am willing to confess. I'm willing to confess. It was really that other guy. He paid me a lot of money to say it. And I'm willing to confess to tell everybody that you're not, you didn't touch me and so on. I just want to ask you for one favor. If you could please just... Tell the Rosh Hashiva not to fire me. Or at least find me another job. Money. So Zdei Chemed says, I get up off the chair to go with her. But before I take my first step, I think about what's about to transpire and I sit down. And I tell her, I'm not interested to go. She said, what? What do you mean? Everybody thinks you're a rapist. Everybody thinks you're a rasha. Everybody thinks you did it. You touched me. 
He says, let him think. Hashem knows the truth. She goes, yeah, but why? So I'm giving you an opportunity to clean your name. It's not costing you anything. It's free. Because no, it's not free. The cost is chilul Hashem. When you did what you did, Hashem's name was desecrated in Shemaim. They said a young boy that's learning Torah is using this Torah to touch women. What kind of Torah do you have? Hashem's name was desecrated. They said that instead of using my chokhmah to do ma'asim tovim, I use this chokhmah to take advantage of people. Hashem Hashem. Hashem's name was desecrated. Now if we go back, even though you're trying to clean my name, it's still going to remind people of what happened. And it's going to remind people of the Chilul Hashem. And if Hashem's name is going to be desecrated for one moment, it's not worth it for me. Let my name be desecrated till the end of days. Then for Hashem's name be desecrated for a moment. And he let her go. And he says that night, after she left, and I made a very difficult decision. I could have cleaned my name up. But I decided that Hashem's honor is more important than mine. That night, my brain opened up in such a way that I was no longer the same student. That's when I became stichimid. All of the hard work that I worked my whole life finally opened up, finally bore fruit, finally gave me the reward that I can't even explain. Why? Because the honor of Hashem is the only reason why you're learning. In the Gemara, it says anyone that doesn't spend time each day looking for a way to honor Hashem, it was better that he was never born. Explaining to us that in essence, the only purpose of why you're here is to honor Hashem, to sanctify His name. The only way you can get to that kind of level is by fulfilling the basics. First and foremost, fulfill what you know. You learn halacha, you learn how to keep Shabbat, you learn to eat kosher, you learn to be modest, you learn not to carry, touch muktzeh, you learn not to carry outside if there's no iruv, you learn all these different things, that tilat yadayim, all of these different halachot, basic day-to-day halachot, fulfill them. You know, fulfill. Don't wait till you understand the entire Torah. Because that day may never happen. To finalize the last point, every day in Tfilah Mincha, right before Mincha, right before the actual Tfilah, the Amidah, we read Tehilim 145. Ashrei and then the Tehilim 145. And here he says, at the end of the Tehilim, Karov Hashem lekol korav, lekol asher yikaru be'emet, Hashem 
תהילת השם ידבר פיו ויברך כל בשר שם קדשו לעולם ועד. ואנחנו נברך יא מעתה ועד עולם. In these few lines you just give you this entire lecture. First and foremost, he's telling you, קרוב השם לכל קוראיו. השם is close to whoever calls to him. Whoever is considering, how do I want to look like when the Mashiach shows up? Would I wear this tight dress? Would I want to show my collarbone as a woman? Would I want to show my knees against halakha? Would I want to wear the extra long wig? Would I want to not wear a kippah? Would I want to not wear a tzitzit? Would I want to still be a person that curses on a day-to-day basis? Is this what I want to look like when, I, when judgment day comes? First verse. Second, what kind of people? The people that fulfill these mitzvot, the people that use the wisdom... To fulfill these mitzvot, so he says, not just people that just learn. The ones that are reading with an intention to learn, with an intention to do, with truth, open their hearts. You want Hashem to make miracles for you, you want Hashem to give you tovim, all these good things, good kids, good parnasah, all these things. He says, all you need to do is fear me. Those who fear me, I do their will. I fulfill their will. Ved Shabbatam Yishma V'yoshiem And their cries, He will hear and He will save them. All of those that get themselves into trouble with different things, if you had fear of me, I'll save you. Shomer Hashem et kol ha'avav et kol ha'reshaim yashmid He protects those who love Him, but the wicked He will destroy. Those that stick with Him, the ones that are really, really lovers of Hashem, that fulfill the mitzvot, as it says at the end of Parashat Vayet Hanan, He protects them. But those that are Reshaim, the Erev Rav, it says it literally, He's going to destroy them. There's no, there's no second option for them. And Gemara talks about that the Genom doesn't have a size. doesn't have a size. Gan Eden has a size. 400 times the size of earth. But it says, Genom doesn't have a size. It continues to expand. Apparently, there's more people attending it. Now, Rashi, in Masechet Chagiga, talks about it a little bit. In page 15b, is a conversation between Nimor which was a Goy philosopher, and Rabbi Meir Baranes, asking them different questions, the purpose of life, Ganeden, Genom, things like that. And Rashi says that in his day, most people are going to go, that go to Genom, are going to go only for a year. And the reason why is because in his day, he says that any Jewish woman, there was a Jewish woman, you know for sure that she was modest. You had no issues of immodesty. And for the most part, everybody kept mitzvot. There's no television, there's no Facebook, there's none of that garbage. It says the people that, most people, are keeping mitzvot even by default. It's almost hard to violate Shabbat. And as far as immodesty, it wasn't acceptable behavior. Because 
There was no such thing as mini skirts back then. Since most people are gonna go, they go to Gainom, we're gonna go for a year to get clean up just for a few sins that they made. But he says the ones that are extra wicked, they go there forever. So from one corner to the other. He says standard people of his time nearly 900 years ago, most standard people, it's fine. They're going to be okay even if they go. They're only, it's only temporary attendance. They made a few sins. They do a few things. No good. Because the ones that are really wicked, those types of people, they don't leave. Who is he talking about the ones that are really wicked? Who are these people that are really wicked? People that are... Uh, Nazis, people that are massive murderers. No. He's talking about the Erev Rav and their followers. He's talking about the Mesitim. He's talking about the people that are not only sinning themselves, the Mechalel Shabbat Befaresia, the few that existed in that time, but even more so, he's talking about the ones that misdirect the people. The people that are teaching things that are against the halacha, people that are teaching things that are against the Torah, and are leading the public to sin. People are saying, listen, if you're driving on Shabbat to Beknesset, as long as it's, 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 you're not pressing on the gas extra hard, it's fine. As long as you park far from the shul, it's fine. They make all these different eterim, all these different new rules to the Torah. He says, them... No, well, that's not the people I was talking about, he says. Those people, they never leave. They go to Gainom, they go to that part that keeps expanding. So, Hashem is giving us a very, very simple choice here. When you do what He wants, you're only going to win. You'll fulfill your will, you'll have a good life here, you'll have a good life in Olam you'll have an Olam you'll have... Extraordinary life. But when you go against him, you're putting everything on the line. You're putting everything on the line to such an extent that you're being infected by the Erev Rav and you're becoming one of them. And that's the biggest test at the end of days. It's not a matter of whether you are Erev Rav or not because you were born that way, it's whether you're Erev Rav, because you choose to be. Everybody can do tshuva. Question is, whether you want to or not.